Hello everyone, <laughs> welcome to a black screen, which is never good, but uh, now you can see us. Welcome to a reason. Let there be light, there be and light. there was light, or at least boy, bricks. Oh boy, we, so many buttons yeah. I have to press, yeah. and I guess I press yeah. the wrong one. Welcome to a reason for hope, it's good to see you Don't today. be depressed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, depressing these buttons. Depress the right button. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, yeah. it's good to see you all. Thank you for joining We're us. We're off and rolling. It's good that you can see us as well now. A reason for hope is an hour long live Bible Q&A uh, show. That's what we're all about. It's a Bible Q&A session where you provide the questions through our multiple online platforms. And um, we delve, is the word I like to use, into God's Word, the Bible, to find the answers to those we believe the Bible is God's Word, breathed out by Him, uh, literally His Word, His manual, His uh, details on life and uh, the universe and everything. And so where else would we go for the answers to those questions? So we, we thank you, the viewer, for joining us. and being brave enough to send in your questions, um, as long as it's a sincere question, as long as you know, like I say, the Bible's a source of the answers on this show. That's what we're all about here. My name is Dave Robson. I'll be your host today and following along on all those platforms as you send your questions in, jumping around there. And with us today, we have Pastor Scott Richards, who's a senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson. Yes, How sir. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah. Exciting things to talk about today. Can't yeah, wait yeah. to get at it. You have yeah. a bit of a prophecy update. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which often when Scott's here, he gives us a bit of an update on things going on in the world as it pertains to end times and prophecy and all that. So very excited. Also with us, Pastor uh, Sean Richards, a newcomer to the show. I'm just kidding. He's with us all the time. How are you doing today? Good. I managed to successfully swap one of the real plants with a fake one and no one's noticed. Oh, where did you do this? At home? I will not disclose information that may incriminate me. <laughs> okay. But if anyone finds the one fake plant, there will be a prize. I'm not sure what the prize is, but there will be for you. So, well, once again, as I mentioned, A Reason for Hope is a live Bible Q&A show. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. That's here in Tucson, Arizona. We're broadcasting from Calvary Christian Fellowship. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship. If you keep that in mind as you're trying to find us then um, that will help you out on all these platforms. A great place to go, a great home base for you is calvarychristianfellowship.com. We are live there. If you follow that live tab, the watch live tab, that will take you out to our live page. Whenever we go live, whether it's our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship or Reason for Hope, you will um, see our live video there. And when we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show and you will um, see a schedule of upcoming events as well. But as we are live right now, you'll see the video of us. You can sign in with the username and be part of the broadcast there with uh, your questions. Send them on in. And uh, like I say, I'll be uh, uh, monitoring those. The direct link for that, ccftucson.online.church. That's what you can type into your address bar in your browser, ccftucson.online.church, or follow the link from our website. It takes you to the same place. Uh, we're on Facebook, of course, Calvary Christian Fellowship at Tucson or facebook.com slash Tucson. We're live there as well. And of course, the chat function is another way you can send your questions in as we go along on the show today. Don't forget to like and share if you've been blessed by this ministry. Uh, if you haven't been blessed, then like and share anyway, because someone else may see it who is blessed. So either way, share. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, we're glad you're joining us on Facebook if that's, the, if that's your method. Um, you can use that as well. Once again, share us around, like, and send your questions in. Get them in early. Sometimes we run out of time. Um, so get them in early, and we'll try and be on a first-come, first-serve basis. We have an app as well. If you go to your app store on your mobile device, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship at Tucson. 
Our app is that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. And you can watch us on your mobile device that way. Uh, we have a channel on Roku as well, and we have a channel on Apple TV. So if you have uh, smart TVs uh, or you know Roku Stick or one of those devices, you can add us as a channel in your channel store and watch us on your big screen. So we are just really fancy around here, all over the place. Uh, we're on YouTube as well, of course. We're live there right now. Uh, a Reason for Hope, look for that on YouTube. That's a great place for archives whenever we uh, have gone live. If you go to that live tab, it's automatically archived. And so if you missed the show or you want to recap a show or you'd like to check out our services here um, at Calvary Christian Fellowship, we're currently Wednesday nights in the book of Ezekiel and uh, Sundays in the book of Acts. Um, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and all that good stuff. So if you'd like to check that out, you'll find that there as well. In any event that we've done live, you'll find it all right there on YouTube on the live tab. So once again, a reason for hope on YouTube and uh, oh forgot to mention please like and subscribe and click on the notification bell that means that you will be notified when we go live you get a little ding ding oh it's time for me to grab some coffee and sit down and join the lads on a reason for hope so that's where you will find us on YouTube we're on Twitter as well at least Pastor Scott here is on Twitter how's the Twitterverse these days uh, having a lot of fun a lot, yeah. of, a lot of really great interaction uh, just uh, really uh, uh, wonderful people uh, we're interacting with uh, found there is a uh, similarly inclined Calvary uh, Chapel uh, outreach ministry out of Pennsylvania that uh, joined us and uh, is following along on our Twitter feed. So, oh, nice. Uh, good. nice to be able to encourage one another as we uh, fight those uh, battles for the faith yeah. there online. Oh, that's so, good. Yeah. Glad you're making those those connections. So if you're on Twitter, look for Scott. It's uh, Scott R4H, Scott letter R number four, letter H. And not to confuse things too much, but the name of the outreach is Matthew 715 Apologetics. Matthew 715 Apologetics, and uh, they have some really great posts up there. Oh, cool. So, On Twitter as well? Yeah. yeah, they're just launching, so uh, if you're a Twitterite, uh, uh, follow them, and uh, I think uh, they will uh, appreciate the encouragement. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they will. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for giving them that shout out. Yeah. Um, so, yep, yeah, once again, if you're on Twitter, Scott Alpha H, um, he posts highlights from the show, like highlighted questions and. Um, you know, kind of end time things going on in the world as it pertains to prophecy and end times and all that kind of good stuff. So lots of stuff today. Lots so, of yeah. stuff today, yeah, yeah, which we're going to get into in a moment here as well. So um, we're on Rumble as well. Uh, uh, a reason for hope. <laughs> a question for hope, almost said. A reason for hope, Bible Q&A. If you look for that on Rumble, if you're on that platform, uh, we post our videos there. We're not live there, but we have archive there as well. So if you're on Rumble, join us on there. And then last but not least, our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questions for hope, all spelled out at gmail.com. You can email us there anytime, of course. Email us your questions. And if you're listening to us on the radio, Reach Radio or one of the other affiliates, we're very glad you're joining us. You are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. And so we're not live with you per se. But that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. You're welcome to email us there and we'll get to that question on our next show and consider joining us when you're not on your drive time or one of those other live platforms if you'd like to and then you can send your questions in live but uh, so that's that's all of our platforms we're growing growing and expanding it's very exciting it's very exciting to have this hour and uh, thank you scott and sean for your your diligence in the word for making yourself available 
um, to answer people's questions. We really appreciate it. We don't take that for granted. So thank it's you. It's too much fun. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pastor Scott, would you like to pray for us before we move forward? I would love to do that. That'd Father, how wonderful it is that we can not only spend time with each other uh, through this uh, amazing uh, platform that we have here, the, the door you've opened up for us in ministry, but the fact that uh, we are in your presence as uh, we share your word. And Lord, I think of that passage in Malachi that those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them and said, they shall be mine when I make them my jewels. Lord, thank you for each of these precious jewels in your sight that are being a part of the broadcast today. I pray they'd be edified, exhorted and comforted, uh, stronger in their faith and closer to you in relationship when we get done with this broadcast and the word when we started. Pray, Father, for those on the outside uh, looking in at a relationship with you, that uh, you would draw them to yourself with loving kindness and compassion and with an uncompromising view of your truth. Lord, your word never returns void, so I pray that uh, even for those who might be joining that are skeptical, uh, maybe don't even believe that uh, the Bible is your word, I pray in Jesus' name that uh, you would reach them and speak deeply to them and let them uh, understand that all they need to do to be a part of your forever family is put their faith and their trust in what you, our Lord Jesus, have done for them, dying on the cross and rising from the dead so they could have life. I pray that many would make that decision today and uh, that this would be a day uh, where people pass from death into life and are born again through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. Thank you. Well, once again, before we move forward, send your questions in, whatever platform you're on. Uh, we have a little bit of a prophecy update here, but I'll be gathering those questions in as we do that, and then we'll get to your questions. So send them on in. Well, Pastor Scott, you mentioned exciting things going on in the world. Well, if you have been following along with us, you know that uh, we often focus in on uh, events relating to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the best place to focus, if you really want to understand where we are on, on God's uh, time scale, is uh, focusing in on events in Israel. Uh, Israel is the epicenter, as our good friend uh, Joel Rosenberg would put it, of God's plans to right this world gone wrong. It's where Jesus is going to return. And uh, also uh, the, the Bible prophecies that allow us to know whether we are getting closer to the return of Jesus. They are all uh, relevant and uh, essentially come to roost there in Israel. Uh, so uh, this week uh, we've uh, been focusing in on something that is just uh, amazing to me how uh, scant attention this gets in uh, our uh, legacy media, the alphabet networks, uh, even uh, cable news. But uh, Israel is involved uh, with a major skirmish with a wholly owned subsidiary of the Iranian uh, mad mullahs in Tehran, a group called Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Uh, this dust-up began uh, a couple of weeks ago when a, a hunger-striking senior member of Palestinian Islamic Jihad in Israeli custody, uh, I, I wouldn't say met his maker, but uh, discovered that his faith in a 6th century Islamic warlord was misplaced, uh, passed from this life, and uh, that uh, created a... Uh, series of rocket barrages that were launched against Israel by Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Israel responded somewhat mildly in kind, uh, attacking some of the uh, rocket emplacements uh, that were launching the missiles, but not much more. And uh, this, uh, again, was around May 2nd, May 3rd, and uh, there was sort of a lull. And uh, politically, this became kind of a hot potato uh, because uh, the uh, coalition government put together 
by Benjamin Netanyahu, some of the uh, more aggressive members of his coalition were saying that uh, they were inviting further conflict by not making a very strong statement against uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad and encouraging mm -hmm. the Iranians, uh, sort of a probing motion, if you will, to see how Israel would respond in this set of circumstances. Uh, and uh, and there was there's quite a bit of controversy about that. Well, Benjamin Netanyahu said, just be patient, just wait, uh, we've got some things in the brew. Well, uh, boy, uh, did they. Uh, once uh, the, uh, the uh, Israel decided to act, uh, they acted in a, a very strategic way. Uh, our good friend Amir Sarfati, uh, his Behold Israel website, uh, highly recommend it, great place to go to stay up to date about what's going on in Israel. Uh, Amir is a uh, retired officer in the IDF, uh, also uh, does tours of uh, Israel, lives there in the Galilee region. And so uh, his perspective uh, from uh, ground zero, if you will, is very, very valuable. Uh, on his uh, weekly update, uh, he said this, according to Islamic Jihad, Israel does not play fair. Their claim is that their leaders were told that Israel was prepared to enter into peace talks with them in Cairo after this initial skirmish. So these leaders, and I'm quoting Amir here, who had been in hiding for years, came out of their little cubby holes to say goodbye to their families before leaving for Egypt. Once they were exposed, the IDF killed them. If that's what happened, then kudos to the IDF. As the old saying goes, all is fair in love and war, especially when you fire 104 rockets at our cities. That was the initial volley, by the way. The latest total that I saw uh, from the Jerusalem Post is there have been over 804 rockets fired at Israel by wow. Palestinian Islamic Jihad so far, including uh, one strike that we'll talk about in just a moment. Uh, Amir goes on to say, by the way, if you guys don't mind, maybe I'll use your brilliant strategy in one of my novels. Talks are underway for another ceasefire. They're unlikely to be fruitful. Uh, believe it or not, Palestinian Islamic Jihad is making demands of Israel in, in order to uh, achieve a ceasefire through their Egyptian mediators. Number one, they demand no more targeted assassinations by Israel. In other words, you can't attack our leadership uh, no matter what we do. Uh, this like one I, I thought was uh, interesting. They want uh, Israel to return the body of the uh, hunger-striking leader who passed away. But this is, this is the icing on the cake. I really love this one. Uh, they want Israel to cancel the annual Jerusalem Today flag march scheduled for May 18th. Or they won't stop firing rockets. You know... <laughs> A lot over I, a parade. You know, I, I think, you know, you know, when, when I was uh, a, a uh, wee lad uh, getting into my teens about the time uh, that I got my driver's license, my uh, dearly uh, departed father, the attorney, sat me down and gave me a briefing about what to do if you're ever pulled over by a policeman. Mm. Uh, he said, uh, first of all, don't get out of your car. Uh, secondly, sit there and wait patiently for the policeman to come to your door, have your license and your registration ready, don't make any sudden moves, and, and uh, couch everything that you say with the terms yes sir and no sir, because you are not in a position to bargain at that point. Yeah. You know, I couldn't help but think uh, that maybe Palestinian Islamic Jihad could have used that kind of talk uh, from uh, my old man because they don't seem to have gotten that memo. Really, what yeah. they're doing, in essence, it, it would be the rough equivalent of you and I being arrested for a crime, uh, brought into police headquarters, put in an interrogation room, 
and saying to the interrogator, I refuse to allow any more questions to be asked until you have a breath mint. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, and no. Yeah. Israel is not going to agree to these conditions. Interestingly, on an international scene, uh, the vast majority of uh, responses from overseas have been very interesting in that they all emphasize Israel's right to self-defense, and there's a reason for that. Uh, earlier uh, this afternoon, one of the missile volleys that was launched into Israel uh, landed in uh, the Israeli uh, city close to uh, the border with Gaza, uh, the biblical site of Rehoboth that uh, you'll find in your Bibles. You can do a, a, a concordance search and see where it's mentioned. But uh, this missile got through and hit an apartment complex, and it ended up uh, injuring severely eight people and killing one Israeli citizen. Well, that completely scrambled the equation as far as any kind of talks or negotiations are concerned. Israel responded, as you would probably imagine Israel is going to respond to something like this, by not only taking out several uh, very important pieces of, Islam, of uh, uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad uh, and their infrastructure, but also killing another one of their key leaders in a targeted attack. Uh, so uh, when you're dealing with um, actual casualties on the ground, a few uh, of their other missiles uh, landed in the city of Sederot. They damaged some apartments, but uh, there were no casualties, no one injured as a result of all of that. But uh, when that sort of thing happens, it definitely kind of, uh, well, turns the narrative a little bit. Uh, when Israel is uh, the victim of an unprovoked attack, it's defending itself. Uh, it's really hard for the usual suspects, say, at the U.N., to say, oh, Israel's overdoing this. You know, Israel needs to show restraint. Oh, the poor Palestinians, look at, uh, you know, how much they've suffered and, and so on. Nobody is saying these sort of things at this point. The closest to saying anything along this line is, uh, of course, the United States, who, by the way, and to our credit, uh, Anthony Blinken, our Secretary of State, emphasized the fact that Israel has every right to defend itself from such an attack. However, uh, the official State Department position is that Israel needs to de-escalate the conflict. Well, I'm not sure how you de-escalate a conflict when the other side is actually taking civilian casualties and uh, launching missiles uh, like the uh, dreaded uh, poem, I shot an arrow in the air, uh, where it lands I know not where. Uh, that's basically their strategy at this point. So uh, last total, over 800 rockets have been fired into Israel in uh, 36 hours. Uh, Rehavot, as it's known in Israel today, Rehavoth, uh, the, uh, the biblical site, uh, is uh, uh, the, the place where we've really seen uh, some real damage that has uh, done there. Uh, and uh, again, Israel has now struck over 100 Islamic Jihad targets since the uh, start of what's called Operation Shield and Arrow, and uh, now not just three, but four senior commanders have been killed. Uh, there are a number of Israeli politicians who are making statements, including Knesset members, that uh, getting even with Islamic uh, or Palestinian Islamic Jihad is sort of a waste of time because the head of the snake is in Tehran. Mm. Uh, if you want these things to cease happening, you've got to make some kind of um, a painful uh, sort of a gesture against the uh, people that are pulling the strings and 
giving the orders. So to this date, uh, and we talked about this yesterday, Hamas, uh, which is also a terrorist organization that runs most of Gaza, by the way, is not entering into this conflict. Mm-hmm. They have not uh, responded by launching any of their missiles. Hezbollah, uh, which is the 800-pound uh, gorilla of terrorist organizations uh, that is in Lebanon, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of missiles have been smuggled in from Iran into Lebanon and are at the control of uh, Hezbollah there. Uh, they have launched a few missiles into Israel and kind of probing uh, missions, trying to find out uh, how the, uh, for instance, the Iron Dome and uh, David's sling defense systems work and how they can be overwhelmed and so on. Uh, they've stayed out of it mm. to this point. And uh, we talked a little bit about this yesterday. I can offer my speculation here, but I think it's an informed one. When Israel has shown that their strategy for dealing with these kind of attacks is not just taking out terrorist infrastructure, but going after terrorist commanders themselves. Mm. And that Israel has demonstrated now not just three times, but four times, they have very good intelligence Mm. as to where these terrorist commanders are living and can take them out if they so desire. I'm sure the leadership in Hamas uh, and in Hezbollah, uh, which are all over the idea of uh, people uh, dying as martyrs for the cause of Islam, just other people dying for the cause (laughs) of Islam, aside from them. That's kind of their strategy there. And uh, I think that's why you're seeing some restraint at this point, but that's subject to change without notice. As always, uh, we want to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We want to pray for... Uh, the Israeli people that are living in places like Rehoboth and Sederot that are really uh, vulnerable to these sort of things. Mm. One rocket uh, almost hit Tel Aviv, but the uh, David's sling anti-missile system took it out before it could do Mm. any damage. In fact, in the Jerusalem Post, uh, one of the articles that they published showed that a scheduled rock concert that was uh, going to be going on in Tel Aviv is going on as scheduled because of their confidence in their missile defense systems to take out uh, something along that line. I would say you'd have to be very, very confident yeah. to do something like that. Yeah. Because, uh, and, att- know, the, and attend the concert as the, well. Uh, the old uh, risk and reward thing <laughs> of allowing a concert like that to continue yeah. you know, is, is pretty huge if there's a failure. You've got to have incredible confidence in your ability to be able to defeat uh, these kind of weapons. And so, the incompetence of the terrorists. Yeah. You know, well, yeah. like I say, it, you, if you're a terrorist, uh, you only got to be right once. Yeah. You know, uh, with the Iron Dome and the David Sling, you've got to be right and on target each and every time. Or as we saw in Rehavot, uh, someone dies. Right. Uh, and Israel isn't going to take that sitting down. As we said, there's a good side to all of this in that have deeply divided Israel because of political issues we've talked about here on the show. Uh, the controversy over judicial reform and the protests, both pro and con, have gone on in the streets. All that is put by the wayside. Mm. Uh, Israel comes together when it's under attack, and I think that's, uh, if there is anything good to say about this sort of thing, that certainly uh, has happened here. So continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. If we find out any uh, further details, we'll let you know. Again, uh, we highly recommend uh, following uh, Amir Sarfati's a website, Behold Israel. He's on the Telegram platform, which I'm not super familiar with, but that's mm. where he posts his uh, daily video updates. 
And so if you want to follow him, that's a, uh, that's a great place to do it on Telegram. He does these live updates. He also uh, sends along uh, live updates if you subscribe uh, to uh, his, uh, his website, which I have done, and I highly recommend that. All right. Yep. Behold Israel right there. Yeah. Yeah. Beholdisrael.org. Yeah. Excellent. Wow. Poor, that's uh, overwhelming, but, but God. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that's, all yeah. We, that's all we have. Sounds like a, a, a ticking time bomb. I mean, well, I think I think it's definitely a clock that's ticking down. Yes, um, I think the more we see of this, uh, once again, as Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, look up because your salvation draws near. Right. Um, these things are straight out of not just uh, uh, spy novels like Joel Rosenberg's works or Amir Safadi's works. Uh, these things are right out of the pages of um, biblical prophecy. Right. Um, yeah, and that's the hope and yeah. peace we have. Right. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, we have questions coming in. If you guys are ready to jump on in. Let's do it. Yes. A uh, question from Yari. And once again, we thank you for those who, there's a couple of questions that came in that were from yesterday. You guys have joined us again and sent the questions in. We appreciate you doing that. That's a great way to to uh, um, uh, to get us to uh, restate those questions. I had actually had your questions loaded up first. So we're glad that you're there to hear the answer to your question. question from Yari. Did Moses write uh, Deuteronomy 34.10? How did Moses write his death and beyond? Was he a type of uh, Peter? Did God tell him he was going to die? So how did Moses write beyond his death? I don't know about the association with Peter. Let me clarify uh, both points. When people ask about the closing verses of Deuteronomy 34, the last chapter of the book basically gives Moses' memoir. And at that point, people start to ask questions because it's not often you get to write your own eulogy. Right. Sometimes you have a will and testament put in place, but to you know write nice words yes. about yourself before and you I died die. last week. And, yeah, the, and yeah. all those things. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, now people leave behind videos. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a little creepy. But yeah, <laughs> this whole movie's made yeah. of that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea is just that, is whether or not Moses was speaking prophetically, or the question is, did Joshua write the concluding verses of Deuteronomy mm-hmm. 34? Now, both have merit, and here's why. Firstly, concerning Moses, you can say a lot of things about that guy's life, but ordinary was not one of them. When it comes to God's ability to kind of introduce new factors as far as the way things normally go, there was an intentional setting apart of Moses because he would be the standard going forward of how prophets would be recognized. So for him to be able to, in the future tense, just write down things on behalf of God, even regarding him post-mortem, that is not beyond the pale. Now notice that a verification, no, it's saying it fits facts. And we do see that Moses has done this before. For example, when it came to the conflict that took place between him and his older siblings, Aaron and Miriam, it notes that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Now some of us roll our eyes when we read that and say, oh yeah, Moses, real humble observation. But you look at the guy's life and the behavior that followed, and it was an observation observation that was, could be backed up by the facts. He didn't put himself in the position of leadership over Israel. He didn't contest that position when he was challenged by his siblings or his cousin Korah and the people who tried to challenge him then. He was like, hey, if God's calling someone other than me, by all means, I just don't see where that's fitting the details here. So in Moses writing things about himself from the Lord's perspective rather than his own, that's not beyond the realm of possibility. However, 
the reason why Joshua is a applicable candidate and Deuteronomy still being considered among the books of Moses is because the mantle of Moses in Deuteronomy, by the way, is recorded and verified in the public eyes of Israel to have passed on to him, not just in terms of political office, but prophetic office as well. We note this in his declarations in the early chapters of Joshua and the things that he performed during their battles with the Amalekites. The point being made, though, is this. As the mantle of the leader of Israel, the prophetic office, if you will, passed from Moses to Joshua, for him to speak on God's behalf concerning Moses would be just as valid an approach to this text as if he was speaking, Moses here, on behalf of God regarding himself. But both are noting the reason why Deuteronomy is an exceptional piece of literature, not just because it accurately gets to the heart of issues concerning Israel's past, their present at the time it was written, and even in terms of the future, some even arguing going into the days of the Holocaust and the Restoration, which we're still looking forward to today. All those things are not beyond God's ability to speak through, whether it was Joshua or Moses. If you're talking to a skeptic about this, though, the comparison to Peter is one that I'd be very careful with, because he wasn't told when he would die, he was told how he would die. This is in John chapter 20. And noting the death in which he would glorify him, it's not a comparable situation, because Moses wasn't told by the Lord in the text you're going to die. We infer that because of one of two possible interpretations. Mm. (laughs) If I commit to one and I'm wrong, then I've basically wasted three seconds talking about God's Word and misrepresenting it. I don't want to do that. So what can we actually support from the text? A, does Joshua qualify as someone who could actually pen parts of Deuteronomy and not be misrepresenting God? The answer is absolutely. We see him passing on that mantle publicly, and that mantle included the status of a prophet. Does Moses have the wherewithal and experience in his life to be able to write things that God told him to say, even if it kind of went above his willingness to speak them? read Exodus. That's the whole point. When we're asking ourselves the question, though, which is most appropriate, I'd say the most straightforward one is the most appropriate conclusion, and since the chapter in question basically continues with that point about the mantle being passed to Joshua, I'd say it's most appropriate to say that he penned the closing chapters and then begins the ministry of Joshua or the book of Joshua, rather, as he begins his ministry. Uh, If you see someone who wants to divide hairs over that, then I'd say there's not really much to continue into the conversation because it doesn't take away from the substance of what was said, that Moses did in fact perform those signs, that Moses did in fact speak to God as a man speaks to his friend face to face, and that no prophet like Moses has risen up since in that regard. But the observations are what are key. The authorship is important, but it's divided between two people who are equally qualified to write those words and not conflict with the Bible standards of a prophet. Good. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Yari, great question. Thank you for that. Thanks for being a regular on our show. Hope that helps you out. Uh, Question from Quinton. Does moving east in the Bible represent sin or separation from God? Adam and Eve went east from the garden. Cain went east. Lot went east as far as the east is from the west. So is there some significance about east? In Lord of the Rings, yes. In the Bible, I don't think so. (laughs) No. No? No. Um, the, the idea of, uh, you know, the moving east 
some would say is associated with the fact that the sun rises in the, the or rises in the east, sets in the west. Uh, you know, it would be the idea of uh, of uh, moving towards a uh, place where the sun hasn't risen as of yet, and things along this line, a, a step towards darkness. But uh, some people have tried to go be very elaborate about that. Uh, you know, I, I think this is one of those uh, situations where uh, you know the Bible is really, really good. Uh, about it is really good defining right. <laughs> oh. uh, its terms. Uh, one of the things we discovered in our journey through the Book of Revelation is that uh, you know even in a book that has so much symbolism, like the Book of Revelation, if there's something symbolic that's portrayed, uh, it's either something that has already been explained within the Book of Revelation, yep. something that is about to be explained in the Book of Revelation, but uh, more often than not, something that's already been explained or mm. defined in the Bible itself. Mm. And so uh, the, uh, the symbols, the things along this line uh, that I think uh, the Lord really wants us to be able to understand if there is a symbolism to it, um, you know, I think would be defined there. I don't right. see, you know, the closest would be is removed our sins as far away as the east is from the west. I think the analogy there in Psalm 103 is that it is the most conceivable infinite distance you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, you know, the analogy is always given about if God said, I've removed your sins as far as the north from the south, well, you know, someone could say, well, uh, there's such a thing as the North Pole yeah. uh, and there's the South Pole. You can't go any farther north than that. You can't go any farther south than the South Pole. Mm -hmm. So there's a finite distance involved, but there's no such thing as an East Pole or a West Pole. Right. You start going east, you're going to keep going east forever. Yep. You go west, you're going to keep going west forever. I, I think uh, in those situations, uh, rather than seeing something symbolic uh, about it, it may just be a note of factuality that this is where they went from that particular time. Yeah. Um, you know, again, moving east from Eden, uh, uh, Cain settling east of Eden, uh, John Steinbeck's famous book, East of Eden, and so on, uh, carries the idea of fallenness and wickedness in this, this world. Right. But uh, really, I'm not comfortable uh, when we come across something like that and saying, oh yeah, this is definitely a uh, symbol of evil yeah. in the scripture unless we really see a defining statement along that line or a yeah. consistent use along that line that, that shows that this is what's happening. Sometimes gotcha. uh, East is just a direction. Yeah, so. <laughs> right, very good. Yeah. Right, so you West Siders are no better than the East Siders. There's no uh, real significance there. Yeah. Um, and thank the song you, Into the West is not biblically based, it's Tolkien based. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Anything you'd add to that? No. Yeah, missed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Well, Quinton, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, there was a question from Troy came in through our website. I meant to check with you before the show, Scott, but we'll just do it live because we, you know, we're casual around here. Why not? Why not? Troy, um, he said, hi, Scott, love the show. Um, I seem to remember that you have an acrostic that should help our communications better. I think it included positive, maybe uplifting or something like that. I do not remember what it is. Would you mind going over it again? I think it would be a nice reminder of how we should manage our speech. Me and Sean were talking. We think maybe it's about prophecy. If a you know, if someone speaks in prophecy, it needs to have certain qualities to it. Maybe yeah. that's what you're referring to, unless there's something else you can think of. Yeah, um, well, uh, as far as prophecy is concerned, uh, one of the things we always talk about is 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 3, where the Apostle Paul says that whoever prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Mm. Uh, as I've had the opportunity to be able to teach sermon prep in a number of different situations, a number of different churches and, and settings, uh, the one thing that I really try to emphasize the people that I 
communicate with you know sometimes it's in a seminar sort of form so you know you don't have a whole semester to to, uh, to right. build up someone's knowledge of this but uh, boy if there's anything i want people to, to come away from it's this what is a biblically balanced message all about yeah because the word to prophesy literally means to speak for God. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we get kind of this, you know, kind of, uh, yeah. uh, kind of the vibrato in our voice and, yeah. you know, kind of the, uh, the faraway look in our eyes and say, the Lord has told me. Uh, well, prophecy is any time that we speak God's word. Mm. Uh, and sometimes that can be foretelling certain events. But more often than not, it's foretelling what God has already given us in his word. Well, how can we make sure that we are doing this in a spirit-filled and spirit-led way? Well, like everything else in Scripture, uh, let Scripture be the standard for that. Yeah. And so uh, what, whenever we're listening to a message, whether it's this program, whether it's a sermon, uh, whether it's uh, in interaction with somebody, and you're really wondering if God's speaking to you, three things you got to look for. Number one, edification. Uh, the word uh, edification carries the idea of building upon a foundation. Uh, the idea of building up someone's knowledge, if you will, of God's word. Uh, so a real prophetic word is going to cause uh, the scriptures to become more plain to us or be able to broaden our knowledge and our understanding of, say, the historical setting we find in scripture or other passages that might apply to a particular situation. Our knowledge, our head knowledge, if you will, is going to be built up. That's what edification is all about. Yeah. Uh, in, in every message we listen to, we should always come in and say, you know, I really want to learn something new about the Bible today. That's yeah. the idea of edification. Exhortation is a really interesting word in the original language. It carries along carries the idea of someone who comes alongside to help. Uh, it was a word that was used in coaching in the ancient Olympic and Isthmian games in that coaches were allowed to be, say, on the track or on the field mm. and shout out instructions mm. to the participants mm. while they were in the midst of running the race. Well, that's the idea behind that. Mm. It's God answering maybe the most important question anyone ever asks whenever God's word is shared. So what? Mm. What difference does this make? Uh, you know, sometimes we will hear a message that's really heavy on edification and we hear yeah. about, uh, you know, what some theologians said and you know, we'll, we'll hear about, you know, what some scientists said or things like this. But at the end of it, if we're still kind of going, well, what difference does this make in my life? Yeah. You know, well, then that's not a balanced biblical message. Right. God is always going to give us some application points, yeah. uh, the, the, the truth in shoe leather, if you will. That's what uh, exhortation is all about. But then there's the word comfort. It's the word parmuthian in Greek. It carries the idea of someone being so close to you that they can actually whisper in your ear. Mm. And the idea behind that is that any balanced biblical message is always going to bring us back to the ministry of the Holy Spirit who bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children, yep. who comforts us, who are in any affliction that we can comfort others with the same comfort, same word, parmuthian, mm -hmm. that we're comforted by God. So a balanced biblical message is always going to bring us back to a grace-based perspective mm -hmm. on our relationship with God. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not going to just leave us dangling over the fires of hell like a little spider on the end of a, a spider web and oh, God's going to shake you off. Uh, some people think that's strong preaching. Mm. Well, that can be a part of a balanced biblical message, talking about the reality of hell for sure. Mm. But unless we bring it back to the perspective of God's grace, that God paid the ultimate price to rescue us from hell, you know, for instance, 
that's where we're missing things. You know, yeah. we can we can even in the name of exhortation uh, give people pretty heavy to do list uh, coming out of out of church. Yeah. But unless we emphasize to people that none of this is possible unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, you know, I've, I've really been, um, this has been a, an issue that's near and dear to my heart because uh, the more I go on in my walk with God, uh, looking back on, say, a lot of people got saved during the Jesus movement mm-hmm. and how many people are still running the race and how many people have fallen by the wayside. Right. One of the things I've noticed is that the surest way to burn out or get bummed out in the Christian life is to have your Christian life defined as a devotion to duty mm. or to doctrine. Mm. And I've known a lot of right-on Christians, and, and believe me, you know, there's nothing wrong with sound doctrine. That's what we're to teach. That's what we should build our faith on. But when it's all about doctrine, when it's all about, uh, you know, uh, theologies and, and so on, and isms and so on, and where we stand in all of that, uh, and uh, when it uh, kind of comes back to duty, saying, well, you know, a lot of Jesus did for me is least I can do yeah you know sometimes I hear people say that well yeah I'm glad they're grateful for what Jesus said to do but that's only gonna get you so far mm-hmm. you know sooner or later uh, you're gonna you know doctrine uh, you know knowledge puffs up but love edifies yeah you know there's a difference there we need to have solid doctrine because uh, love rejoices in the truth it right. doesn't rejoice in iniquity and so on but if all we got is right doctrine and we think that's what makes us right with God, yeah. we're, we're in a very uh, shaky place in terms of our walk with God. If yeah. all we have are our Christian duties, yeah. you know, like people will say, well, you probably never, you know, in a place where you doubt your faith because you're a pastor and you do all these things for God. Well, you know, you guys can bear me witness on this. We can do all kinds of wonderful things for God. But how many times has the Lord used you, say, in a profound or powerful way, and then you uh, walk away and, you know, this horrible thought starts entering your mind. Yeah, I did pretty good there. You know, God's got to be really proud of me. And, and, you know, start getting puffed up and all this stuff. It's just amazing how we can do the right thing with wrong motives. Yeah. And, and, and so we all have this, this, this problem with duty and devotion without the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit to make Mm -hmm. it happen. And I I think particularly in our neck of the woods, there's been so much reaction against charismatic excesses Mm -hmm. uh, that a lot of people in Calvary circles or Baptist circles, you name it, you know, independent Bible churches, uh, have been so leery, if you will, of uh, of, uh, the, the idea uh, of uh, of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, uh, that uh, boy, uh, they don't want to have anything to do with that. It mm-hmm. sounds ooky spooky to them. It sounds emotional right. to them. But Jesus said, "I'm the vine; you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing." Yep. Uh, he said, uh, "If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, out of his innermost being, will flow rivers." Of living water. This he spoke concerning the Spirit. Mm. Boy, read the book of Galatians. You know, the Apostle Paul said, you know, does God do uh, miracles and signs among you uh, through the works of the law or the hearing of faith? Mm. Uh, you know, there, there has to be that dynamic experience of walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And unless we bring people back to that, we don't have a biblical message. So all of this is to say, um, you know, whenever we sit down 
and we come out of a message and we kind of maybe feels a little chalky to us <laughs> you know that it's just kind of a head trippy sort of a thing and you know, don't ignore that because, you know, an imbalanced message or an imbalanced ministry is going to emphasize those things mm. to the exclusion of edification and comfort. Maybe you've been in a place where uh, exhortation was emphasized to the exclusion of edification or comfort. Those are those yeah. messages where we feel like we've been beating up the head and shoulders and right. we're never going to measure up. And, you yeah. know, to uh, quote one guy, oh, left me in total despair. Uh, it was great. You know, some people like to be treated like the bad little boys and girls that they are, yep. you know, and so they gravitate towards that. In some ministries, it's all about yep. you're not doing enough for Jesus, and that's an imbalanced ministry. Some people will go so far into the grace thing that it's all just la-di-da, what you do, your moral decisions. Uh, really doesn't matter because God's love and mm -hmm. we just emphasize the love of God here and you know all these verses over here and over here about you know putting to death the deeds of the flesh and you know what God feels about the uh, latest and greatest social trend and craze that's you know uh, putting us on the A train to paganism in our culture oh well it doesn't really matter because God's just love you know you walk out of a message and you feel like you got a floss you know, like you've <laughs> been too chewing sweet. on cotton yeah. candy yeah. for, you know, that's an out-of-balance message. What we should strive for is that balance, yep. edification, exhortation, and comfort. Yep. And, and, and so if you're preparing a message, you're doing a Bible study, uh, uh, you know, sit down and ask yourself, you know, sometimes it's good to even have on, on the little margin on, on your notes, just edification, exhortation, mm. and comfort. Okay, where's the edification in this message? Yeah. Have I covered that? Where's the exhortation? Where's the so what? Yeah. Where's the comfort? How do I, I focus people back on the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish these things? And I think if we do, uh, that, uh, that, that would be an awesome thing. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. And when I think about your, your hearing you uh, explain that, Scott, when I think about your messages, they do... I can see that they, they include those things. You know, there's, yeah. there's information there and you learn something. And yeah. then there's also a like, you know, we need to be doing this, but also the comfort of Christ. Very good. What was that but, verse again but, in, in Corinthians? Uh, first Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 3. Right. Uh, I understand we've got uh, some pretty interesting people waiting, though. So let's yes, dive into our questions. <laughs> oh, was that Sean's little message <laughs> to you? Um, yeah, thank you, Troy. Um, hope, hopefully that's what you're referring to. If not, that was great anyway. So uh, question from David. Matthew 6.19 uh, says not to store up treasures on earth. So is it then wrong to save for retirement and have a 401k and that kind of thing? Great well, question. Well, the, the simple answer is no, there's nothing wrong with that because uh, 1 Thessalonians or 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 says the one who doesn't take care of his own family has denied the faith and is worse than a non-believer. Mm. Uh, God has also given us the power to get wealth, we are told in the scripture, uh, that we mm. need to be good stewards of that sort of thing. So that, uh, you know, First Thessalonians chapter 4 says that we lead a quiet life working with our own hands so that uh, we're not dependent on other people. So uh, yeah. no problem there. So storing up the treasure would be more just reliance on the treasures of the world rather than... You know, because obviously we do store up for retirement. Well, it like all kind of comes down to your attitude toward it. You know, yeah. whatever we look to for significance and security is uh, pretty much our God. Yeah. Some people look to the mean green for that. Some right. people look to the, the properties they own and things like this. But we all know stories about people that have done these sort of things and come up short. 
Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yep. the point in James 4, 13 through 17 isn't to say that making plans for the future is sinful. Yeah. It's noting the attitude. That's why the end of the verse is whatever a man does without faith is sin. If your right. ultimate confidence is in those things, Jesus sandwiches that statement, don't store up treasures in heaven with, your Father knows you have need of these things. Yeah. If God's the first priority of your provision, not your 401k, then whether your 401k crashes or not, you know that God's got the future in hand not your money right yeah yeah absolutely <clears throat> my 401k is a little bit sad so <laughs> i hope that's uh, true and it is uh well david thank you great name and thank you for that question as well <laughs> yeah um a uh, question from mac d uh are people that are raptured uh going through the thousand year reign how does all that kind of work together I don't think they'll be going through it. I think they'll be enjoying every second of it. But yeah. uh, the idea of Revelation 20, where the thousand-year reign is mentioned, is preceded by Revelation 19, where it notes that the saints clothed in white robes, fine linen, which is the righteous acts of the saints, are joining Jesus on white horses. We're not going to cease to exist after the rapture, nor do we get a thousand-year time out from Jesus as he has to handle things on earth before he comes back to us. Heaven is with Jesus. The fact that he returns to earth means we're with him as well. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, there you go. You, you caught me in the middle of doing some housekeeping here, <laughs> so let me just scroll. <laughs> well, there's some questions I want to get to that uh, deserve a bit of time. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, on on uh, Calvary or CalvaryChristianFellowship.com. So. Yeah. What were you referring to, Sean? Because I got a long old list here. Horatio, Gerald, and Hank's questions, as well as Ibn Al Swami. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll let's see. I'll I'll carry on my first come first serve basis. Um, a question from uh, Opt. I guess is your name. Uh, how do I apply Proverbs 17, 17 in my life, which says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity? How yeah, do I remember, apply that in my life? Remember wisdom literature is using these sort of poetic observations to drive home a principle. Christianity isn't a law-based thing and Judaism really isn't either. They had a legal system, but the principles of love your neighbor as yourself, love the Lord your God, that's a principle that would govern and dictate how you act in life, not a law on how you're supposed to approach every situation in what way. So in Proverbs 7, 17, 17, 17, excuse me, Solomon makes this couplet. It's a poetic form where you take one theme that you're familiar with in order to make clearer another theme that's just like it. Now, we know what a friend is and we know what a brother is, but notice how he compares them and emphasizes the same theme. Love at all times, so an enduring relationship, right. and adversity noting that through those times it's thick and thin the principle is to be loyal not just when uh, friendship is easy but especially when it's hard that's the difference between someone you know and someone that you would call a friend or even a brother and noting the same way god is that friend that sticks closer than a brother that's where this that principle came from this passage very good yeah thank you i think i'd thank be interested you. in uh, tackling that uh, question from our muslim friend yeah from I, how would you pronounce that ibn ibn al-swami yeah well, he it asks, means son of. how yeah. do you know your faith is the only way? There are lots of other faiths where people are willing to die for something they believe in besides Christians, example, Islam um, and Buddhists, etc. So how do we know our faith is the only way? That is quite a claim that we make. Because we don't believe it because someone was sincere enough to die for it. We believe in it because our God came to this world, died, and rose from the dead. There is a difference. Obviously, people can die for a lie. That means they were convinced. But if a guy dies, then rises from the dead to verify their claim, that's different. 
If we note the deaths of the eyewitnesses of that event, that proves their sincerity and the historical validity of the claim. But noting if, uh, again, Swami, I think, is more Indian in its dialect, but Ibn Al is an Arabic term, so maybe you can clarify your background to us so I can speak on common terms. But when it comes to the narrative that people die for something, therefore it's true. No, it means mm. they believed it was true. They could be lied to. The fact that Jesus knew that he was God, claimed that he was God, right. then died, shows that he was not only sincere in that belief, but then rose from the dead. He backed up his words with deeds. That's the difference. Yeah. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul went so far as to say, if Christ isn't risen, uh, you're still in your sins. Your faith is meaningless. Right. Uh, so the resurrection of Jesus is what separates Jesus from any other adherent to any other belief. Yeah. The other thing about people that die for their faith, I, I would say, uh, Ibn, I guess that would be the... the Al-Swami. Yeah. Okay, Al-Swami. Al uh, but uh, the, the other thing that separates uh, Jesus from all of that is that all those people that you can mention who died sincerely for their faith are still dead. Jesus right. rose from the dead in a moment of history. That's right. You know, historically we know this. The eyewitness testimony uh, supports uh, this to a tremendous extent. Uh, the riddle of the empty tomb, the only answer that fits all of the facts, the historical data on the table, is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead in a moment of history. Uh, the overwhelming change in the disciples, people that were uh, cowards, mm. were transformed into courageous individuals willing to die, not for a belief system, not for a way of life, uh, not even for their friends. But uh, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were willing to lay down their lives for what they had seen and heard, the resurrected Jesus. Uh, the scriptures, uh, the Old Testament scriptures predicting the fact that Messiah would come and die and rise from the dead also back up Jesus' claim. And our own experience, uh, the fact that uh, we know Jesus in a personal way spiritually and that he has changed our lives, made us born again through his spirit, are also very powerful testimonies to the fact that uh, Jesus is risen. No other uh, founder of any other religion that you name, Buddhism, Zoroastrianism, uh, Islam, uh, the, the rabbis of Judaism can claim these sort of things, that they actually rose from the dead to validate their claims. But Jesus did and does. Yeah, that's right. Well, thank you for that question. It's a, that's a great question. We appreciate you being part of the show and asking that. Uh, question from Gerald. Yeah. Why this is a very kind of specific um, biblical language kind of question. Not really. <laughs> Why did the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7.14 in his foretelling of the birth of Jesus use the Hebrew word Alma? which means young woman, and not use the word uh, betula, yeah. which means virgin when describing Jesus' mother. Well, I wrote an entire term paper on this particular issue, so I feel like I'm- Summing up uh, in two minutes. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> Good I'm, I'm qualified to be able to speak. Yeah. Uh, well, the, 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 the important thing to understand, a couple things to understand. First of all, the term betula and alma, uh, depending upon the usage, uh, although Betula is the technical term for a virgin, Alma can be and is used in Hebrew to describe a woman who has not had sexual relations with a man. Mm. For instance, uh, Rebecca. Yeah, in, in that situation, oh, nice. that is the word that is used there. And yeah. nobody would have questioned whether Rebecca was a virgin at that particular point. The other thing that we need to understand is, and this kind of comes down to uh, a, a real important lesson we need to learn. When someone makes a doctrinal uh, declaration based upon the, tw the use of a particular word in a sentence, yeah. 
the use of a particular word, particularly in Hebrew or in Greek, and I have a master's through your master's degree in both languages, can tell you a little secret here. Uh, if anybody comes to you and says, the meaning of this verse cannot be understood in English, you have to understand it in the original language mm -hmm. or you're gonna miss it. They're woofing. Yeah. And this is, uh, again, Isaiah 7:14. The context of this is that King Ahaz uh, is challenged by the Lord to ask for a sign as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol. And uh, he goes, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Sounds very pious. But basically, Ahaz kind of liked his idolatry, and he liked to have a little temple worship as well. Didn't want to commit. Mm -hmm. But uh, God responds and says, is it a small thing for you, O house of David, to weary men? Will you weary God also? In other words, this response was exasperating to God. Behold, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear his son and shall call his name Emmanuel, mm. which translated is God with us. Yeah. And now, again, Isaiah 7 goes on and describes that there would be a son that would be born to Isaiah and his wife that would be, in a sense, a divine countdown clock, uh, that the Syrian enemy that they were worried about was going to be defeated before this child was weaned, if you will, before he knew the, to embrace the good and, and turn from evil and so on. And that's where people get a little bit mixed up uh, because there are two individuals being mentioned here. The son of Isaiah, Maher Shalhel Hashbaz, uh, say that five times <laughs> yeah, fast, bless you. Uh, was a definite descendant of Isaiah and his wife. But this child, Isaiah never had a son called Emmanuel which translated mm. God with us. Mm. Uh, the idea that you've got a sign as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol also puts this in a completely different category. So we look at it in context. Yeah, word studies are interesting, but the context itself, including Matthew defining uh, the term for us, is the desire. See you again, same time, same place tomorrow. <laughs> God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's word one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.